Hi, this is Ben Lola, back to the Bible Canada. Today, Dr. John Newfeld continues in the series, The Gospel Alternative to the Cultures of Men, with a message entitled, To Those Thinking of Marriage. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 31, as we join Dr. Newfeld. I have a confession to make, so hang on and buckle up. This might get messy, and you might think less of me after I've publicly acknowledged an old sin, but here it is. Just before I got married, I prayed that the soon return of Christ might be delayed just long enough for me to get married and enjoy at least a week of marriage, and then, Jesus, feel free to come again. Now, I know how deeply disheartened this disclosure is, but it's true. Shameful, I know, but true nonetheless. But here's another little secret. Christians, if you're genuinely born again, all live with an expectancy of the very soon return of the Lord. And fascinatingly enough, the intermingling of the return of Jesus and the expectancy to get married, well, those two events have been intermingled for a very long time. Well, let me not get ahead of myself. I'm reading 1 Corinthians 7, 25 to 31. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealing with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Well, from that superficial reading of this text, without studying it carefully, It seems that the passage is telling us not to worry about marriage, for the world is about to end and Christ is about to return. Well, that was what I was worrying about when I got married, and that passage was written 2,000 years ago. Let's study it more closely. Let's start at the beginning, verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, this verse is one that often causes great confusion, and it is the key to understanding our section, so let's pay close attention. First of all, you'll notice the word betrothed. This entire passage is about the betrothed, and in our world, that sounds like an engaged individual, and so we often read this concerning the engaged and the encouragement for engaged people not to get married. After all, the Lord is returning soon, and what are you doing fooling around with marriage? But the original language simply has the word virgin here. So let's let the original reading stand. This is not a passage about engaged people, but a passage concerning virgins who are of marriageable age and are contemplating marriage. So this section of scripture is directed towards young people, and as we're going to see tomorrow, it may be directed toward their parents. Now, most parents want their children to marry. That was true in Paul's day as well, but in his day, it may also have been true that fathers and perhaps mothers arranged marriages, at least that's what some scholars think is at the root of this passage. 
But either way, what's behind this passage is the subtle and sometimes not so subtle pressure for young people to get married and to get on with having a family. So if today you're somewhere between the ages of 18 and 35, this passage of Scripture is directly related to you. But if you're not in that stage of life, please don't tune me out because the principles of this passage really do relate to you at every stage of life. This is a section about gaining wisdom when it comes to marriage. But let's remember the context in which this passage was written. The Corinthians had written the Apostle Paul and had asked him a number of questions. One of those questions was to help them understand whether the young people should be encouraged to marry or not. You and I might look at that and say, well, of course they should marry. Or we might say, well, they should wait. Well, you fill in the blank until they're old enough or until they've completed their education or until they're financially stable. Well, you know the kind of things that are said. But some in Paul's day thought the idea of marriage was a bad idea. They thought the church should strongly discourage all marriage. And so Paul answers by saying that he has no command from the Lord. In other words, Jesus never spoke to that issue. Remember, as we've already seen, Paul is not writing as if to say that what he writes is not inspired of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, what we find in this text is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but what Paul writes about here was never addressed by Jesus in his earthly ministry. This is a revelation, then, that gets added to the plain teachings of Jesus, and the only one who can do that is an apostle. And then Paul says something that may surprise us. He doesn't say, but I have an apostolic command for you about this. Instead, he says, I will give you my judgment. In other words, even though what he says is inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is not given as a command, but rather as an authoritative guide. It is, in a sense, a piece of information that we might need, a bit of wisdom to guide us as to whether marriage is a good idea or not. But there is no divine command here. Instead, people were called upon to weigh the advice and individually make up their own minds about their situation. You know, some of us feel uncomfortable in this. We want a command from God about everything. But God does not give a command about everything. I mean, do you know that? For instance, God gives you no divine command as to whether you should be entering medicine or engineering. On some matters, we must choose on our own. But in doing so, God gives dependable counsel. It comes in the form of wisdom, wisdom that is meant to give you skill in living well. So if you're young and never have been married, there are three pieces of wisdom that if you learn them and keep them, whether you marry or not, you will live well. And the same also applies to everyone else, especially those in relationships. So let me give you article of wisdom number one. Consider the advantages of remaining the way you presently are. That's what we find in verses 26 and 27. I think that in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. You'll notice that Paul is mentioning something that the Corinthians knew about. He called it the present distress. So what does that mean? Well, we can't be completely sure, but what seems most likely is that Paul is sensing that attitudes in Corinth were turning against the Christian faith. 
We also do know from Fox's Book of Martyrs that a Christian man named Erastus, the city treasurer in Corinth, whom Paul actually mentions in Romans 16, verse 23, a man who was probably won to Christ by the preaching of Paul, was put to death for his faith in Corinth not long after Paul wrote this letter. So it seems likely that Paul is already sensing that a very heavy burden is going to come upon that church, and he knows this will be an especially heavy burden for those who are married. Marriage is difficult enough, but marriage in the face of persecution and death puts pressure on the married that a single person does not have to bear. I remember years ago having a a young Russian pastor in our home for supper. He had spent 10 years in prison under the old communist system. His crime in those days was converting young people to faith in Christ. The communists had said, if you touch the young, you're going to lose your hand. He told of the day he was sentenced. His wife, who had no other means of support, and their five young children had watched as dad was taken away. His wife's last words as they took him out of the courtroom had been, be strong. Now, that was encouraging, but it was still a burden. His marriage and family added to his burden all that time in prison. The temptation was always there to place the needs of his family above his faithfulness to Christ. If he were but to renounce Christ or renounce his ministry, his children would be better off, at least in a worldly sense. And that is Paul's principle of wisdom. Spouses and children always place a burden upon us, and in distressing times, that burden becomes especially heavy. Anyone who is about to marry should consider these matters. It's a part of what we should think about. And by the way, do you see why this passage can be applied to all sorts of situations outside of marriage? Well, I hope you do. Whatever we do in life, whether we buy a house or take on commitments or make long-term promises, whatever we do needs to be weighed against the commands of discipleship. Will this make following Jesus easier or harder? Consider these matters when you choose. Paul is offering wisdom for living, points to ponder when we need to make life choices. Choices as important as marriage. For instance, considering the advantages of your current situation before making a change. Wisdom that applies to many decisions in life. We'll discover more when Dr. Newfeld returns. We teach the Bible. That's the core of everything we strive to do at Back to the Bible Canada. It's the Bible that provides us everything we need to know about God, about Jesus, about salvation, about the power of the Holy Spirit, about the promise of eternity, and so much more. In July, Dr. John Newfeld will be focusing his attention on the Bible on our Truth and Life Today program. Its authenticity, its trustworthiness, its importance, and significance to every believer. Join us on Joy TV Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. Pacific, Sundays at 1.30 p.m. Pacific, on YouTube at truthandlifetoday.com or by downloading the Back to the Bible Canada mobile app. The Bible is critical to the faith of every believer. Join us in discovering so much more. And for everything else you need to know about Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
When we left off, we saw Paul giving principles of wisdom regarding those who were seeking to get married. In that case, he was speaking to young people of marriageable age and was pointing out that it was not wrong to seek marriage, but that the present crisis being felt in Corinth would put great pressure on the lives of those who got married. And so he gave a principle of wisdom that will guide them in their decision-making. Consider the advantages of remaining as you presently are, he says. Make that a part of your decision-making process. Here now is the second piece of wisdom. Utilize your freedom considering the outcome of the choices you make. Look now at verse 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Notice Paul speaks of worldly troubles in verse 28. I don't think he's repeating the previous point about the possibility of persecution. I think he means to add a general principle related to all marriages. He means the burden of supporting a marriage and a family. Let me try to give you a bit of worldly list of troubles. I mean, one is financial. You can count on that. But there are others. Imagine your spouse becomes sick. I was speaking to someone who, who recently quit his job to take care of his sick wife. I know of a woman who was a member of parliament. She stepped down when her husband became ill. It was her act of love. But please understand, it comes under the heading of trouble. There's another trouble in marriage. It's a relational trouble. You know, every once in a while, when our kids were younger and still living in our home, Kathy and I would be struggling through an issue, and our kids would say, hey, you guys are fighting. You aren't allowed to do that. And I would say, no, no, we're disagreeing and we're doing it with a little intensity. And the last thing I need now is to be intensely disagreeing with you kids about whether I have the right to fight with my wife. So butt out. And then my kids would answer, well, you never butt out when we fight with each other. And I would answer, yeah, but there are two things that you kids should keep in mind. One, I'm inconsistent. And two, I'm your dad and I'm older and I'm more frightening. So that's just the way it is. Now, as we all know, family brings joy, and mine sure did. But the ongoing relationship that I have with my grown children is one of the, the greatest joys that I have. It's my richness. But it sure meant attending to a lot of relational things, including disagreements and understanding and misunderstanding and, and time to listen and appreciate and to enjoy. The idea behind the word trouble is the idea of being under pressure. Marriage takes time and effort. It's work. And have you ever noticed a couple that has told you it's always been smooth sailing? I mean, that couple have a real problem with lying. They need help. I mean, the challenge of marriage is that two sinful people get married and in their sin, they have to learn to love because it doesn't come naturally and how to forgive and accept and, and reconcile and to keep no record of wrongs. They have to come to terms with disappointment with the other. I mean, that's all. It's easy. Anyone can do it, right? Yeah, you can, but it demands things of you. This is being under pressure. Now, Paul makes it very plain. He's not speaking about sin. Married people have not chosen a less spiritual way. I remember several years before meeting Kathy, I, I actually struggled with the idea of whether I should remain single for life. And I felt called to ministry, and I sensed that there would be a benefit to remaining single. 
Now, I decided I didn't have the gift of singleness or the gift of celibacy. I I thought the temptations in this regard would be greater than I could successfully handle and that Satan would use this against me. But I do know that after I had met Kathy and I had fallen deeply in love with her and I had asked her to marry me that actually struggled with whether I was choosing a way of life that was less spiritual or that it would limit my time in serving Christ. And I then came to a conclusion, which I know was the right one, that getting married or remaining single is not a matter of right or wrong. God had given me freedom and would bless me either way. In fact, do you not hear that this is the intent in this passage? You know, I often hear singles say, I'm waiting for God to bring into my life that that right person. Listen, that right person doesn't exist. Instead, love for the other is learned. It's a commitment. It's an inclination of the heart that must be fostered and furthered. Love is an act of the will. Infatuation, on the other hand, is what we fall into. See, rather what God wants is that we use wisdom, skill in living, to consider the advantages of remaining the way that you are and then using your freedom to act in such a way that will still bring glory to God. But then Paul uses one more item. Remember, marriage is a temporary relationship. In verse 29, he tells us that the appointed time has grown short. See, it's a great fallacy to live in this world as though it was going to last forever. In fact, we might conclude that the attitude of assuming that this world will last forever is the very essence of worldliness. And that is the opposite of wisdom. Jonathan Edwards, in his resolutions, which he wrote to himself and which he read back to himself every day of his life, included this one resolution, that he would every day think about his own death. Well, why? Because it helped him evaluate all his decisions, and it helped him understand what's important and what is not. And so Paul begins with this statement, the appointed time has grown very short. See, there are those that look at this phrase and see it as Paul's expectation that Jesus is coming back very soon now. Furthermore, these people will argue that Paul was wrong in his expectation. In fact, the world has gone on for 2,000 years since he wrote that. But what is Paul actually saying? Please notice that he says the time has grown short. Something unexpected has happened. Some argue that Paul is speaking about the realization that with the coming clouds of persecution, that the time of peace and safety has grown short, or that he realizes his own time has grown short, a a premonition of his own death. Paul would be beheaded in Rome somewhere around AD 64, and this book was written about AD 55, and so at the time of this writing, Paul had less than a decade left on this earth. But from the context, Paul's not speaking about his own life, but rather the life of the Corinthians. It seems most likely he's speaking of the reality of oncoming persecution, and given that, he offers advice. From now on, he writes, let those who have wives live as though they had none. See, Paul's not releasing married people from their obligations in marriage, but he is telling them that marriage does not release them from their obligations to the Lord. Don't you fail to identify with Jesus because of your marriage. If the time of safety is short, 
and you have to make your stand for Jesus, you better get on with that. Don't let your marriage hold you back. You belong to Christ first. See, every once in a while, someone will will tell me why they're not involved in ministry. Well, Monday, Susie has violin lessons, and, and Tuesday, Johnny has soccer practice, and Wednesday night is our date night, and Thursdays, we have grocery shopping and fixing up the home, and Friday, we just collapse and have no time for a Bible study group or, or a ministry of some sort. We are busy enough already. And when people speak that way, they betray an understanding of life. They have no sense of the urgency of their call to follow Christ, no sense of mission, no understanding of God's assignment, just completely absorbed in their marriage and in their own family. We give hundreds of excuses like, my family is my ministry, and so we neglect the wider sense of God's calling. This is called worldliness because it assumes you will have lots of time to do all the other stuff that needs doing. I remember standing beside the dying bedside of an old friend. He was dying in his early 50s, tears in his eyes. He told me that he had a calling from God, but always told himself that when the kids are finally taken care of, he would do the rest. And now he realized he had wasted it. He had counted on something that wasn't there. He had counted on the idea that this world would last as long as it needed to last. Marriage is temporary. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 30, there will be no marriage in heaven. And so for all of those who are contemplating marriage as the big decision in life, please understand it is a big decision. But that decision, as big and as life-changing as it is, is not an eternal decision. Seeking the kingdom first is an eternal decision. And whatever your decision about marriage is, it should not and must not and will not detract from your assignment to be a servant of the Most High God. John, this is a great message and one that most of us need to hear because we have this tendency to put excuses ahead of God. All these things that come up in front of God or are more important than God at any given minute. I don't think we think about it that way sometimes, but you know, we do have a tendency to say, hey, my marriage is important. I'm not able to do that. My kids are important. I'm not able to do that. How do we remind ourselves about God being first? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that your marriage isn't important. I think uh, you should hear me saying those things. But it's important not to make our marriage into our idol in which we neglect the calling of God on our lives. You know, marriage gets to be an excuse for not being involved in the Lord's business. And that's just wrong. And we need to identify it as such. Thanks, John. A great message. And join us tomorrow for more of Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. What is the gospel? Well, this may be the most critical question anyone could ask in their lifetime. What is the gospel? What is the good news? What is it that Jesus did on the cross? What does a relationship with Jesus mean for my future? So many questions that impact our lives today and for eternity. Whether you're a believer or you're searching for the truth about Jesus, Dr. Neufeld's booklet, What is the Gospel, is for you. And for all those who've never contacted us before, we want to make the booklet available to you for free. No shipping, no handling. In fact, we'd like to send you two, one for yourself and one for a friend. 
So if you've never contacted us before, call us today to receive your copy of What is the Gospel? Call 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425.